everyone to drive to win this is a very special episode because it is the sunday after the second annual concours at the win las vegas and i'm joined finally by a human being in the studio jay leno well thank you thank you for prefacing it with a human being i appreciate that well it's also in person and alive right right did you see my text after the second fire i sent i sent you after your second injury i said you are doing your best All right, to right. kill yourself well, i appreciate that thank you very yeah, much i didn't know if i could be more There's emotional nothing more personal than a text really, <laughs> no it was I, I know but i figured everyone in the world i i mean our mutual doctor told me you were okay dr right, ron right. so and i like to and you use just the least amount of letters how an R and then a U, you know, this way you don't, you don't get exhausted. No, and yeah. it, it also reflects my youth. Well, thank uh, you. Thank so, you. well, we're here on these, uh, the day after the, this concord that they had out there. Um, and I've got to tell you, it was it was a very special Yeah, event. they do a nice job here. I I, uh, I was the MC last year. Uh, yesterday, oh, sorry you got fired in my favor. Well, actually, I didn't, but oh, actually I, was, I, I, had a, I had a real job. Uh, on Saturday, oh, okay. uh, so I didn't get it. And chance. I was cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what they told me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, they, they really do a nice job because, you know, the funny thing about Vegas is a lot of, I, I love seeing spouses, either male or female, just get dragged to these car shows, ugh, you know, but they're in Vegas, there's other things to do, there's shopping, there's places to go. So it's the best place for Concord because you can go off and do your car thing and your spouse and your family have other stuff they can do. They don't have to go, can we don't oh, look at that car again. You don't get any of that, you know. Well, I think you're right because the other part of it is is we know that an army marches on its stomach. And right. most of the car events we go to, it's pretty mediocre. Yeah. You know, it's it's glamour glorified banquet food. Here, literally they haven't stopped feeding us. I know, it's great. And you don't have to listen to fun, fun, fun by the Beach Boys. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just so funny to watch millennials go, what is that? Turn that off! What is that crap? It's like Lester Lanner in the orchestra, if you might agree. It's like something from the 20s. And they just play it incessantly. I went to a car show in California uh, just last weekend, and it's, it's you know, Little Deuce Coop, and you see people going, what's a Deuce Coop? Oh, you see, that was a hot rod. I mean, yeah. it just, it, you just can we just do away with the music at car shows so you can talk about the car and... and and get Listen to, to the owner exactly. Well, you were, you were here last year, and I'll tell you, in your absence, they uprated the cars. They yeah. they've you know this year, I think you know Philip Seraphim, Bruce Meyer involved. I, I mean, I know they talked to you about it. They the whole key to a car event has to be the caliber of the cars, right, right, and because that is the cornerstone. All the other stuff is 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 what makes it a great experience. Um, they really did bring in some great cars. Yeah, you really do the great cars. If it was an art show, it would be Picasso, Renoir. It would be all, all, the, all the famous artists, you know. And that's what you have here. I mean, I like all kinds of car shows. I mean, sometimes it's fun to go to Cars and Coffee and see a 68 Dodge Dart that's a six-cylinder that's immaculate. The guy's kept his whole... You know, I enjoy that yeah, aspect yeah. of it, too. But then to come and see the fantasy cars, the cars most people have never seen in person, Bugatti Royales yeah. and you know Atlantiques and F1 McLarens, all those kind of things. It, it, it makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, obviously, we have Mel Mullen bought bought a beautiful car, and you know, we see Harry Eggie bought his beautiful Duesenberg, and mm -hmm. um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but 
you see some of the, there was a boat tail Auburn that was out there, which I wish you had seen, but it's, it was the, um, it was restores, Richard and Helen Harding's car. And it's a 1928 Auburn boat tail speedster. Right. And it's, it's that green one with black at the back. I mean, yeah, beautiful. You know, it's funny. There are some, so many cars have been recreated either in fiberglass or something. And it ruins it for the real ones because yeah. they're always off just a little bit. It's like when you, you ever go to a dog show and you see those St. Bernards that have that kind of both people in the same eye? You, know, you go to pet them and they go, and they run off. That's what those kind of cars remind me of because they don't drive like the real one. They don't sound like, they just look a little off. You know, when, when you look at like a 32 packet, you look at the grill. The grill goes like this, this, and this. Then you look at the headlight, and the headlight goes this, this, and this. And then you go into the headlight, you look at the glass, and the glass goes this, this. It's all a percentage of what would just exactly just taken down and it's it the attention to detail and when you see these replicas like the auburn speedster is one that's been replicated god probably one of the first replicas since the 60s or 70s and i seen so many bad ones that when i see a real one i oh oh that's what it's supposed to look. it it kind of ruins it for me you know it's like it's like when you see those bad cobra replicas you know well bruce said it yeah. bruce had his he you know with his cobra he goes out and someone says nice replica right. and he'll go no that's actually the first cobra ever made. Right, right. You know, he's, he's like, there's no point in taking to a car show because everyone thinks you got a replica. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which it could be with Shelby, of course. They, were, they did make more than they... Yeah, he was He was a character. He was a, he was a funny guy, you know. He Did you get to know him well? Yeah, he came to the garage quite a few times and, you know, he was a car salesman. You know, like when he did that, that Aurora engine, remember that, uh, what was that one in the 90s? Um, oh, he did. Shelby one or something. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like he did special engines. For yeah, and I, he said, Jay, this is the best car I ever built. I went, Carol, <laughs> no, no, Jay, this is Carol. You know, you know, I just, you know, I got my hand on my wallet. Oh, it's going to disappear. Oh, my wallet's going to happen, you know. I mean, but I love the guy. He was great, but he was a salesman. Was yeah, well, they had an entire class of cars, an uh, entire group of cars, which were actually judged by their own judges. Which is a way to win an right, event, right? Um, but uh, and Aaron was here, you know, who's his, I guess, his grandson, right. um, and he represents the brand very well. But it, he's always saying, you know, you you've got the one side of the story and you've got the right, the right. other side of the right, story. Right. But they had some beautiful cars out there, and of course, they at car shows always resonate. Don't right. you seeing a big Shelby GT three fifty or something? I mean, they they why why are those so popular still? Well, it's funny, you know, when the Mustang came out. In the first year, they sold a million and a half. And at the time, Carl Car Collector said, the Mustang will never be a collectible because they made too many of them. They're mm. everywhere. But because they're everywhere, everybody has a memory of it. So they want to, you know, we here in America, we don't save anything. You know, I went to visit my, my aunt in Bury St. Edmunds in England. And the vicar, the local minister, he's called, he comes over in a 1962 Honda Bentley. You know, those little mm, Hondas, yeah. you know. And I go, boy, this is beautiful. Did you just store it yourself? He goes, no, no, I bought it new. Oh, you bought it new. Because if that was America, you drive that thing. You, you, just, you just beat the crap out of it. You throw it in the back of the garage. It would rust out. Somebody would throw the thing in the truck. But in England, where cars are valued a bit more because they're expensive and motorbikes, uh, the vicar bought it new, maintained it, changed the oil. It looked like a brand. It was 35 years old at the time. And, and that's fabulous. That's that's what's kind of fun. So that's like with the Mustang. They built a million and a half, and probably half a million got destroyed right off the bat. I mean, I remember looking at a '65 Shelby GT350, 
it was really beat. I mean, just beat. The guy wanted $600. And I went, ah, I can find a better one for $600. Well, next time I found one, it was 60000 Yeah. You know, but I should have bought that one. But at the time, nobody really thought cars would escalate the way they do. You can never figure out what's going to go up. I mean, in our, quote, car collecting lifetime, I bought a uh, 2004 Carrera GT. And Seinfeld bought two of them. And Jerry drove one and kind of saved the other one. And then he realized, I'm not going to drive the other one. Mm. At that time, they were going for as low as two and a quarter. And he said, ah, he sold it for 275 something like 270 maybe three. He thought, well, all right, I lost a few bucks on it, but okay. Well, now it's a $2 million car. I mean, but at the time, it was just an old supercar that nobody, and that's reasonably recent. Yeah, that's yeah. the last 15 years, you know. Well, you know, it's, what is also amazing, you go out onto the field, we were all walking around yesterday, and someone will get their book out, and they'll say, I found it under an apple tree. Right. I found it in the, I mean, I don't know where they find these apple trees, all these barns, or anything. Well, that's another thing. You know, I did some research, and the average farmer makes $42,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Howie has birdcage Maseratis <laughs> in his barn. <laughs> under a tree and in Ferrari the barn. And Ferrari GTOs in, in the barn, <laughs> and they move the hay, and oh my God, look at that. Oh, and Fangio drove, oh my God. Yeah, yeah so that always amazes me how that is. And, and they, I mean, they had, um, I don't know if we can see the picture, but they had this beautiful Rolls Royce, Phantom Rolls Royce that they've restored. Um, is that coming out, Jeremiah? Can we see it on the screen? Um, I mean, look. Oh, I mean, the, the, yeah, the round door car. roll. Yeah, round door the roll. The most awful car to drive. You can't really? imagine how horrible that car is. Look at, look how low it is. Okay, uh, you, if you go over a dime in its heads, you're going to hit the. It was it was found 1952, but it was in it was rusted in the back of a garage. <laughs> typically, right. I mean, like a total piece of crap out the back. But here's what I I always think about, and I know you you sometimes bring it up. Most people, when this came out were like basically out of their horse and cart. Right. And they're strolling along. Is that when poor people really started to hate rich people? Because this guy well, comes that was thundering. built to run over poor people. That was the idea behind it. <laughs> Come oh. on, where's the rent? Come on, you old lady. Give me the rent. <laughs> Slam her against the Slimer. car. You take her purse and then you go. <laughs> you're Mr. Yeah, on you're to Mr. The next one. That's what Mr. Potter would buy. That is in, Mr. In, Potter in would wonderful buy. life. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. They were just built to run over poor people. Something like that probably cost... $25,000 new, two years later, $1,800, you know. Really? It was... But it was well, don't forget, it was the beginning of World War yeah, II. Gas was scarce. You couldn't get tires. Nobody wanted... I mean, I have a Duesenberg. It was the most expensive Duesenberg ever built, when it, the aerodynamic coupe. And it was uh, $27,000 brand new wow. yeah. in 32. And it was bought by Lily, the pharmaceutical yeah. guy. Uh, when I got it, it was a tow truck. It had a, it, a guy at a gas station bought it, and he cut the back of it off and put a rig so he could lift the cars on it because the Duesenberg engine, 421 cubic inch, yeah. it, it was the most powerful American car until the Hemi came out in the 50s. So it was great for a tow truck. And to him, it was just an old car with a big yeah. engine, you know. And then did you restore that? Or? Yeah, we yeah, restored did. that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wow. It is imposing, isn't it? They, but it was representative of the might of America. You guys were mighty. And then you've, you know, you started. Well, every Duesenberg was built stuff. in 1928. Yeah. There's no such thing as a 1935 Duesenberg. Okay. What it was was the year they sold it would be the year it would be tagged as. So Duesenberg built 484 cars in 1928, but it took 10 years to sell them because the Depression had just hit. Mm. And so 
by the time the 30s came along, they'd cover up the, the, the wire wheels with disc wheels. They'd change a few things on the body, make it a little more sleek. It was a 1928 car, but they would sell it since it had never been sold. Okay, now it's a 34, it's a 38. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder, this this was our pre-war best of show right. uh, winner. And it was pretty undeniable that a car like that should win at an event like this. I know we get used to them at Pebble Beach. This is um, a former, as you know, former Pebble Beach that's winner. That's Ab Jenkins' car. Ab Jenkins was a Mormon. Yeah, that's why yeah, he's he called drank, the Mormon. He drank yeah. milk. He had, you know, he didn't, he didn't drink alcohol. Uh, I mean, he was an endurance racer. He drove that car 24 hours straight. At a hundred and something miles. It was one hundred and thirty-five miles an hour yeah. average on right. the on the on the in that massive right. twelve-mile oval or something. Right, like right, right. And he drove it nonstop. That car originally had an airplane engine in it. Yeah. And then when they started to restore it, it is funny how that works because I remember years ago when I first got my garage, some guys from the two hundred mile hour club came over, mm. and they were older, maybe twenty-five years older than I was. And there were like five guys in the 200-mile-an-hour club. Now anybody buys a Corvette is in the 200-mile-an-hour club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it shows you how, how things change. Exactly. That was like, ooh, my, 200, oh, my God. You know, it was like, it's amazing. Yeah. But now it, it, it's so commonplace. But yeah, It's crazy. So it's obviously wonderful to have a car like that win uh, Best of Show. Right. It's, it's very elegant sitting out there. But what they're trying to do here with the Win Concours is redefine it a little. You know, yeah. nowhere is it written in on a temp, you know, a stone tablet that a concours has to have eighty guys in boaters and no. you know, straw boaters and blue blazers. Um, Plus, you're also the era now where these things are seen as kinetic artwork. Mm. Well, they used to just be old cars, but if you can pay one hundred twelve million dollars for a painting, you know, the scream, you yeah. know, it's only this big. Yeah, that's how big the painting is. One hundred twelve million dollars. Yet you get something that's aesthetically is beautiful. But it moves and it has insides that go up and down, and mm. you go, oh, that you know, maybe that is our. It's only the last couple of decades automobiles has been seen as artwork, you know, as something mm. to be treasured or saved, as opposed to raced or driven or just used for transportation. You know? Well, a part of that as well is that you have these, you know, when it becomes valuable, you start attracting people that aren't car people. Right. That is the other side. You know, the Silicon Valley guys that that just say this is this has it's like buying opus one wine when right they just the most expensive bottle they can buy right and that has changed it a bit because well actually people think it's terrible but it actually is good because it made things that were not valuable valuable i mean i remember db5 aston martins after the bond mm. film came out and became make it popular yeah i remember I, I i went to see a guy who had one for sale and he had cancer, and he's not doing well. But the car was rotted out. I brought Bernard and the guys in the shop, mm -hmm. and they go, don't buy this it's a complete piece of junk because the floor was holes in it. It's just terrible, you know. And I said to the guy, I'll give you 18 grand, which is even too much at the time. But I just felt bad. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going to get a lot more. Well, he sold it for $184,000, and I felt like, ooh, he felt like I was trying to screw him over because maybe he had cancer or something. But I wasn't. It just... It wasn't worth anything to me, but because rich guys are paying, a guy in Saudi Arabia has 125 DB5s. He's trying to buy them all. So he mm. just spending crazy amounts of money. So, so the price gets way out of whack. I mean, I've got a 1962 Maserati 3500 GTI. Same car as the DB5. 
My, I paid 45000 for mine, painted, interior was done, and a fuel injection didn't work. A few, you know, mechanical problems, but I paid 45000 Same Aston Martin was seven dollars $800,000, and I think the Maserati is actually a better car. It's a twin plug head, and it's got mm -hmm. more horsepower, you know, but it's just funny how that works. How funny. Well, the big thing about the Concorde here was that they, they divide it into four pillars. Uh, as I said, they got the hypercars, the electric, the alternative, the Concorde, which we've obviously talked about, and concept and culture. And I know you're very involved with Audrain, and you know we were right, involved right. with that too. Um, by bringing in different, more diverse categories of cars, bringing in the cars of the future, the hypercars and all right. those things, it, it, it's very important for the survival of our... Oh, we, I agree. We will not have a Concorde without bringing in young people. And That's right. And, You've always got to get a new blood in. What is yeah. collectible to me... Like, to me, you have this thing now called Radwood, which is cars from the 90s, mm. which to me are just used cars because it just doesn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, a Honda Prelude, oh, that's a nice car, I guess. I, I don't think, it's not a part of my youth. I, it wasn't the first guy I drove. Uh, my girlfriend didn't have one. He went to the movie. You know, whatever it might be. So I don't have any relation to mm. it. So I, I kind of smile when I see guys go crazy for something like that because yeah. to me, that's just a used car, you know. Yeah. And, and the same token, when I was a kid, we used to buy 59 Cadillacs to use in demolition derbies. Yeah. Because, you know, so you buy them for 75 bucks, 150 bucks, you know. And then like 25 years ago, a friend of me, I'm looking at this 59 Caddy. I said, how much? 75. I go, 7,500, that's a lot of money. He goes, no, 75,000. I said, 75,000? I, I, I had in my good. mind that they were still couple of hundred dollar cars. So yeah, funny. It's just yeah. funny. So one of the things that was also out there on the field, and it's very in line with what's happening here, Ultimate Race Week at the right, win, right. kicking off this whole extravaganza, which is Formula One here. So they had Formula One cars out on, on the green. It was wonderful to see, right? But what a contrast. Right. You know, you see an Auburn and then you see, you see Lewis Hamilton's Formula One car. And, and I think we've got a picture of it coming up. And the, this is something, and I said it on the, on the screen, uh, on the stage yesterday, race cars, at least when your car, one of your cars left the factory, there was a spec sheet. Right. There was no, the spec sheet to this car was, was it before practice or after? Did they take a corner off in a crash? Right. Uh, you know, was it after he raced it? What? So it's been very interesting the way these cars have evolved at auction to become worth something. Right. Because, because what is a, what is a race car? Well, there was nothing more useless than a second-hand race car. You know, yeah, totally the newest right. model came out, and th that thing's old new. You couldn't give them away back in the day. Not at all. Yeah, you know, but it, it it is the difference is also we were talking about this the other day too. Like Phil Hill, he used to race for tires. Mm. You get free tires and gas, and maybe the sponsor will give you some tires for your own car at home. Oh, oh okay. yeah, yeah. You didn't get twenty million dollars. I mean, it's a whole different world. No, I mean. But the, you you mentioned when we were up there, um, well, Phil Hill was one, but like Jackie Stewart and those guys, right. they did know how to charge. Sterling did know how to charge. Oh, yeah. You know, but even he, he didn't never, he never became a wealthy man. No, no. I mean, no. you made hundreds. Of, I remember watching, remember that old TV show, To Tell the Truth, you know, people pretend to be somebody. Yeah. I was like an American TV show, black and white. I'm watching one day, I'm saying, the guy in the end looks familiar, you know? Mm. And at the end, they go, you know, my real name is Johnny Unitas. I'm a quarterback for the New York Giants. And in the offseason, I sell insurance for the uh, John Hancock Life Insurance Company. Now, he was the most popular, famous quarterback in America playing professional football mm -hmm. in the 60s. He made 25000 a year. In the offseason, he went door-to-door -door selling insurance. 
Oh, aren't you Johnny Nice? Yes, I am. Can I issue an apology? <laughs> I, you know what I mean? So the, the money has just gotten great. The whole thing has changed. You know. Let's talk about restoration. Okay. Because obviously you have, you you took it all in-house when you realized there came a point of no return, right? Well, the, you know, the one thing I, I, I try to tell car collectors is for the price of one car, you could get a guy, a guy who's an ex McLaren race team guy who's mm. retired, who would love nothing better than to, than to fool around in somebody's garage, tuning up a car and get you, mm. you know, a non purchase And that's what I did. I, I mean, I sent my Jag out to be restored and I got the, the bill and I went, I could hire a guy for a year to fix all my cars for the same amount of this bill. Yeah. And it's still good money, yeah. you know, and, and that's what I did. So I just hired a, a bunch of guys that did that for a living and, Instead of having a lot of idiots for a boss, they just got one, you know? Yeah. So it's just me. Nothing has to be done at any particular time. Where if you finish it? Don't worry about it. But they always make sure that the cars are safe or whatever. The number of guys I, that take a car out that's been sitting in the garage for six months, they're so excited. They don't check the tires. They don't just, just don't do yeah. the basic maintenance for safety reasons, if nothing else, you know? And they don't. So they, that's why I always tell guys, buy one less car, but get yourself a mechanic. Get yourself... Mm somebody who can run your shop and keep track. Last time they were always changed, last time, they, you know, all those kind of things. Hey there, race fans. Justin Bell here. If you're anything like me, driving probably means quite a lot to you, and not just racing, all driving. Nowadays, I'm sure you feel like I do sometimes, too distracted with texts, emails, work calls, and social media to get out there and simply enjoy the open road. I've always had a love of driving, and that's what Mobile One is all about. A reminder that even when life starts to feel too full of screens and routines, the ultimate escape is waiting patiently in your driveway. Mobile One, for the love of driving. You're sure. I mean, your guys are going to need tune-up soon. I mean, you know, they're, they're yeah. mature too, right? That's right. Immature. That's <laughs> mature. Yeah. Yes, but mature. Not, now, they're right. very immature old people. Mature old people. Yeah. But every time I go in there, it's like they don't move fast, but stuff gets done. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like you've got different cars on different... It's like... Unbelievable. Plus, you have people that have the knowledge from back in the day. Mm. You know, it's funny because I, I meet a lot, I, I work a lot with McPherson College, and I meet young kids, and they go, you know, I, I get computers, but man, those jets for the carburetors, how do you figure? Well, that seems like the easy part to me, changing jets. Yeah, but yeah. to them, they, you know, putting something in a computer, that's, that's the way you do it. So it's good to have a little bit of old school and new mm. school. Well, you know, one of the cars out there was actually, um, uh, Judd Dayton had his 250 short wheelbase out there. Just a beautiful Ferrari. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, you know, a really lovely car. Right. You know, and he's got a, a couple of cars. Um, and, uh, you know, the Daytons, you know, they, they had Target as a little family business right. to, right. you know, which helps the car right. collection get there underway, right? Um, but he has beautiful Ferraris. And you see it out there and you realize when you look at it, it's period correct. It's like it came off the racetrack. And I think it did the Mila Mila. And you look at these cars. Can you just give context to the, the the level of preparation and the level of restoration the, these cars go to? Because for most people that have never done it, we have no idea of Well, you, you're living in an do. era now where technology is cheap and labor is expensive. Mm. In the old days, uh, labor was cheap and technology was crazy expensive. You know, when you look at an 8-liter Bentley, you've got like 115 little nuts and bolts holding the water jacket on. Well, you can pay a guy 50 cents a day to sit in that tight nose. 
But to get that same guy now, we got to fix his teeth. You got to give him health and welfare. Yeah. He's getting so much now. He's getting double overtime if he comes in and so, you know. So the idea is now is to make it cheaper. So the, the the whole thing is switched around to where the labor is expensive and the te technology is, if not free, pretty damn close. Yeah. This was the first year I went to the event, and obviously up there hosting it, walking around, seeing everyone, um, seeing Peter Brock there, right? You know, which Peter is just Brock. great with with the cars that he he touched. I think we're at a moment, and that's why these events like the Wing Concours is so important, to get the stories out from the people right. that were there at the time. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's what you guys do at Audrain. I know you always try and bring in important yeah, people. Yeah, Peter Brock, is, I'm going to see him tonight. He's coming to the show. Peter Brock is 90. He doesn't look that. Yeah, but when he was 19, he designed the, uh, he worked on the Corvette. He worked on the Cobras, you know, the cam tail and all that kind of, that's all him. And Yeah, he's quite a guy. He's yeah. amazing, amazing. It is good. The other thing about being here um, is seeing how, if they're trying to redefine the Concord world a bit, uh, I uh, Pebble Beach, which I love, obviously we're there very in a big way. And obviously they only have one best of show, which is great. But I, a funny story I relate, two years ago, I'm standing there next to this kid and he hears me say something about pre-war. And he's like, I've never seen that before. But I mean, Gulf War? Yeah. And I'm going, we have a disconnect here. No, yeah. I'm not talking, he doesn't even know pretty right. much there was a world war back then right right i mean that's part of the the yeah. the, the task that everyone's facing. Well, i get the all the time one day i'm putting i got a 1913 mercer i'm putting gas in you know and that guy goes what are you putting what are you putting gas now for well it runs on gas they didn't have gas in 1913. well yeah they did it had the most yeah. ridiculous argument yeah 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 no they don't that's it, the funny thing about people have no i have this doble steam car okay put gasoline gasoline heats the water and it it Steam is coming out, and the woman in the pulls in next to me. Goes, "Hey, your car's on fire." I go, "No, that that that's steam." What? Say this runs on steam. She goes, "What do you mean? Runs on steam? You heat up water. Then why are you putting gas in it?" I go, "Well, gasoline makes the steam." She goes, "Well, why don't you just leave it in the sun?" I said, "Well, you know, if the sun could boil water, we'd be dead <laughs> ten minutes ago." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I just leave it in the sun. The sun doesn't boil. You can't make steam from the sun. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, okay, I'm not even going to go. But she thought I was putting oh, Yeah, right, you bunch yeah. of steam. Shut up. You. I remember being in that car with you. We went down, and it was the open-top one, one of the steam cars, and we broke down on the way back from um, from the airport. You we went around the airport. Right. We came back, we broke down. And I remember there was a moment, though, that it, it was very familiar. It was like a lawnmower engine or a bike engine just before it runs out of gas. It ran so sharp and clean. And right, then right. and then we stopped. Um, and people kept on stopping offering to help, which was very, it's because it's you, but there's yeah. not a lot of help the mere mortal can do when you when your white stops. stops well, actually, you can do more with a steam car, an old car, than you can with a new car. Huh? I okay. mean, with a new car, you open your toolbox and there's a cell phone in there. And, <laughs> yeah. and you call, because... You know, mechanical things break. Yeah. Electronic things degrade. And when something degrades, it looks brand new. I mean, you, you open a car, you've got 15 relays. They're all bright blue. Which one is bad? I don't know. In the old days, well, that one would be burnt or it'd have, a, mm. it'd have some reason to think it was bad. Yeah. Now you have to buy, you have to place all of them to figure out which one the bad one, you know. So to me, you're actually better off in an old car. In fact, I contend that uh, like a Model T, if you put it out in the woods for 100 years, it's more likely it would start than a car built today because yeah. 
it's all electronics. And, and once electricity gets at it, it begins to degrade, and that's the end of that's it. That's the end of it. I want to tell you, I think it's great news, because back on the Best of Show thing, they then did a post-war mm -hmm. uh, class, and actually quite unanimously, um, the Mura one, which, uh, I mean, I think I just got the, the year of the one. It was, so it was the 69 Mura S. Yeah. I mean, orange, very like yours. Right. Uh, it just, people, some people, it was when it came off the ramp, it was as though they'd, you know, never seen one before. Right. Because, well, you probably haven't because they only yeah. built 1,260, no, uh, 861, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about it, you know, the thing about that era is, my two favorite years are 1932 and 1966, because 1966 was the last year of pure design. You could sell a car in America that looked like whatever you wanted it to look like. Now the headlights have to be this high. You have to have this much safety built into it. There's all kinds of rules, and, and for the better, but mm. not for better looking. In the old days, the Mura, you can see the designer just wanted the car had eyelashes in the front, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. You know, the, Sexy the Italians, it's, yeah. it's supposed to be like the woman, you know, mm -hmm. like that. You know, they, they have that whole Italian thing going. But it, it's pure design. It's the most unsafe thing. There's no crash protection. There's no nothing. There's no steel door beam guard, but that's why it only weighs 2,600 pounds. Yeah. So it's really fast. So those were the last years. After that, the big bumpers and the steering wheel and the giant airbag and all that kind of stuff. It took some of the sort of finesse out of the car. And it, and when it came across it, you know, people were, it was great because we're, a lot of us, I mean, if you're judging any of these events or something, you are faced with that dilemma. You're trying to, to judge across a hundred years. Right. And, and that's not an easy thing to do. So I think it was a great statement for the Win Concours. Oh yeah, I think it is. It's a great idea to having more and more of these specific, so different cars can win every year. It's not always yeah. the same thing. I like Pebble Beach, but Pebble Beach is always based on elegance. Mm. So you can have a 100-point unbelievable car that's kind of dull-looking but beautifully done. It will lose to a car that's maybe not as well done but is more swoopy or has some aesthetic that has more yeah. appeal. You know, that, that's the difference, yeah. Another very popular thing on the field yesterday was the concept cars and the electrification and seeing that. Now, I know you, you, you jumped on electric oh, right yeah. when they when they came out and you were raving about them you know you used to go to the studio and back i know right, a lot right. in it um and now i'm I, i've got a faraday future which i'm driving around in and it is about training your mind to a different way of life rather like when the cell phone came out i remember my grandfather saying not in my life oh i think it was my dad why am i going to be tethered to something i need to plug in every day he was really pissed off about it right, right. and now you have your car plugged in and everything like that we're in an interesting era, and it's very exciting on design and the technology with electric. Well, it's funny. Cables. You know, steam ran everything from about 1810 to about 1911. Then eternal bushing came in from 1911 to just about now. Mm. And a kid born today will probably drive in a gas-powered car about as often as a kid drives today in a manual shift car. Mm. It happens, but it's fairly rare, you know. And each one of those, from 1906 and seven. They each had a third of the market. Electricity was hugely popular, especially with women, because you didn't have to crank it. It wasn't dirty and smoky. Most cars, you had to get, you know, there used to be a song, get out and get under, my automobile, you know, those kind of things that sounded just right. You didn't have to get out and get under. Electric car, you just turn the key, the electricity went through the car, and you move the lever to go forward or backward. Couldn't have been simpler. The trouble was most people did not have electricity in their houses in 1909. Only really rich people did. Mm. So in those days, they marketed the cars to women. 
And as you learn in the car business, you, can, you can't sell a man a woman's car. You can sell a woman a man's car. So, but they made them sort of frou-frou, and they had vanity mirrors and you know, cos- places for cosmetics and things like that. And rich men bought them for their wives to go shopping. Okay. And plus, since they only had a range of maybe 50 or 60 miles, they knew the wife wasn't going to go to the next town. She was going to go to exactly. <laughs> she couldn't get away. Couldn't get away. It was quite secure in that way. Well, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a, a couple of questions. Now. It's called our Mobile One Pit Stop. All right, Mobile One Pit Stop. For the love of driving. And I'm making these up, Jay, because I didn't write any. All right, and, go ahead. Um, in the event of a fire, I know you, you uh, always say that you would not, you don't have a favorite. But which set of keys would you jump for well, as the building is burning at Jay Leno's garage? Oh, well, I mean, you, you probably say the most valuable, the F1 McLaren, because mm. that's, you know. Well, you can call me and I'll take that. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about the F1 McLaren, though, is no matter how, you can't total it. Because as long as you have the serial number, it's eminently rebuildable. You know, that's, that's the thing. That's how it's different from other cars that way. So it's worth so much money, you never have to do it as a write-off because it'll never cost more. I mean, I think uh, Rowan Atkinson had one. He wrecked his. It's the highest, highest insurance claim on a car in history. I think it was a million two or a million five or something to rebuild it, but it's worth $20 million. So yeah. it's it never, it, it'll never be total. Yeah. That must have been a fun call to the insurance agency. I know. Um, what's the fastest speed you've ever driven at? The fastest speed is uh, 278 Muroc Dry Lakes, the American Eagle. You know that thing? Yeah, yeah that was the fastest car I'd ever been in. Um, and then, you know, it's Carrera funny. G- Carrera GT, you the did cr- a well, lap record. Well, Carrera GT, we, we went down to t- It shows you how far it's come. In 2005, I guess, it was Carrera GT, we're going to do 100 laps and 191. And, you know, going around, you know, going around. It's a big track. And I'm just, I'm coming down the, the straight, and the guy goes like this, okay, okay. And I let off the gas, and the rear end whoop, came around, just spun down the center of the track seven or eight times. But I use that old adage, you always hit what you're looking at. So every mm-hmm. time I saw the wall, I, I, just, I just cut the wheel. So it kept going. Choo, choo, choo. So I flat spotted all the tires, but it didn't hit anything. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't wreck the car. But that was a Carrera GT. That was, and, and what's his name? Um, David Donahue. David Donahue. Yeah. No, but uh, uh, Singer, uh, that was his name, the, uh, the engineer for Porsche. Oh, yes. he, he set that car up. But I found, you know, once you got over 170, 180, boy, that rear end starts to walk around. <laughs> and you go in the corner, <laughs> you feel, <laughs> as the tires where you feel yourself sliding. Okay. Then 15 years later, I go to, to um, the Proving Ground, GM Proving Ground, to drive the new ZR1 Corvette. And we're going to do a, a 50 laps at 200 miles an hour. Okay. And we were having a conversation. I mean, it wasn't, the, it, was, it was that, was, you know, so funny. You know, Taj, Taj Juke. Taj, yeah. He, he, he's the chief designer. So I get the Corvette from the warehouse and Taj waiting at the time. Wait, hop in, Taj, come on, get in the car. You ready to do it? Yeah, let's do it. So I said, before we start, we got the cameras on. Let me ask something. I said, When's, this, when's the first time you went 200 to Corvette? He goes, oh, I never have. I said, you never have? He goes, no, this is the first time. So your first time was with a 70-year-old comedian mm-hmm. who's never driven the car before, never been on the track. And that's the first time you're going, all right, all right, fine. And we did about 50 laps at 204, 204, 208, something like that. It averaged out to 204. 
but rock steady. Amazing. Nothing like, like the Porsche 15 years ago, which is, hey, it was just, it was just moving around. I didn't have any yaw control or any, you know, it was just, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, it was really, really, really interesting. Obviously, on in your career on the Tonight Show, you met nearly every important person on the planet, and what a, what a or, and or self-important or whatever. Yeah, you no, to that say. was fun. You, you met met a lot of people from the racing world. Who was the hero that you're very glad you met? Oh well, you know Phil Hill was one of my favorites. Okay, Carol Shelby, of course. Uh, I like Phil Hill because Phil was a Packard mechanic originally, then he became a Jaguar mechanic, and then he became a racer. But Phil Hill, I think, probably the only guy, never wrecked a car. Mm. He had the greatest mechanical sympathy of anybody because he was a mechanic, and he could drive it, and if he heard a noise, he knew what it was. He knew how to back off. I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever damaged a car. Yeah. You know, other guys, you know, they go balls to the wall, and they slam shift in it. Shifter broke this thing. You know, what he, I mean, he just had finesse. He could yeah. work on Very sensitive guy, loved music. The only time he was frightened in a car was when people would come over and go, Phil, I just bought a Corvette. Let me take you for a ride. And they'd try to show Phil how good they are, you know, coming off an off-ramp. Yeah, yeah. And Phil's like screaming his head off. They go, what are you screaming at? He goes, I mean, he's driven at 200 and something miles yeah. an hour, but you're more frightening with the insurance salesman with the new Corvette than you are with that. Just as a sidebar, growing up as a kid, I'd, my dad's friend, you know, school kids' friends would pick us up from right. school, the dad would, and it was as though they had to, teach show my sister and i oh yeah so we'd go home and say to our dad dad you should give up because james's dad is so much faster we got the shit scared out of us nearly every day of our school tribe um so obviously uh with with um what was i gonna say we all get a little bit older as we get older we reflect back a little bit older older. look at us it's got gray in it um you reflect back and you think on the you did you were a comedian for a living, which must sound as bizarre as being driving around in circles as a racing driver for a living. What else would you have done now you reflect back? I don't know, maybe something in the car business, I think. I like automobiles, probably be a car salesman. I mean, I didn't really think I'd make a living as a comedian. I figured I'd do it until I had to get a real job. I just never had to get a real job, so it worked out okay. But, you know, my dad sold insurance, and he became the manager of the office. And once a month, to inspire the men, because all men selling insurance in those days, he would put on a show. He'd say, you know, you guys can't sell. Well, I can't juggle. By the end of the month, I'm going to know how to juggle, you know. So he would practice it all the time. Mm-hmm. And then he'd juggle eggs, and they'd hit him in the face. And the guys would like, you know, just just stuff to get, you know, inspire the men. You know, I went out and did it. You can go out, you know, that kind of stuff. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll sell insurance. I used to get to do a show once a month, you know. <laughs> well, thank you. That was Mobile One for the love of driving. Jay, you answered those. They weren't exactly quick answers, but I didn't ask you. They for weren't those. exactly questions, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so <laughs> I think we're pretty. I think we're pretty even. I think I just pulled my thing out. So don't pull other, your thing out. Yeah, I just pulled te- this out. And right you know that though. sounds terrible. If yeah. people are listening to this on just on the only audio, it's like, yeah, we're talking, and he pulled his thing out. <laughs> it's not. It's not pleasant even at my age. Yeah. So Formula One. You've yeah. got to talk about that because we are here in Las Vegas. You noticed what's happened to the street outside. You know, outside. that's the greatest thing about that Netflix show. Yeah. Because I have to admit, working every weekend, I didn't really get a chance to watch many of the racers. And when I would read about it in the car magazines, the cars were so overly technical, you know, $1,500 lug nuts and, you mm. know, just just things which the average person really could not relate to. There's nothing on a Formula One car 
that I could put on my car. You know, that yeah, like, yeah. like if, if NASCAR, oh, that's the carburetor he uses, you know, like, so I didn't, yeah, once I started watching Drive to Survive, uh, I got to know the drivers because in the press, they're just robots. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the car. And you see the guy, he's talking with the helmet on. So you, you're like talking to a stormtrooper from Star Wars. You know, you can't really see who it is. But when you see Ricardo and all these guys in Hamilton, you see the emotion and the human element of it. Boy, it, it, really, it really makes it exciting. And it really is exciting. And camera technology has come so far. You know, in the old Helmet days. cam and this Yeah, camera. in the old days. Now they've learned to put the camera down low. You know, Howard Hughes, when he did a movie called Hell's Angels in 1928, he had all these fighter planes. And then he watched the film, and he realized they look like they're going 15 miles an hour, mm-hmm. you know, because there's nothing. To, so he waited until it was raining. He went back up, and he shot it all again in the clouds. So you'd see nothing. And, you know, one of these biplanes would come out of the clouds, swoop down, and go back into the clouds. Oh, wow. Then it really gave the illusion of speed, you mm-hmm. know. And when you, I used to watch uh, on um, Wild World of Sports on ABC, they had the Annapolis 500, and the camera would be up here, and yeah. it, it, didn't, it didn't look like anything. It looked like they were going 25 miles an hour, you know? So that's the one thing they've done. They've captured speed. They've captured crashes. As You, you actually feel like you're in the car when they have that impact. You know? yeah. So, yeah, they do an amazing That's probably done more to promote F1 than well, anything 68% else. 68% growth or oh, something crazy. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. But and they do a wonderful job. And you, you get to know the team managers. You get to know the mechanics. Mm-hmm. So you, you see the personal. Because it's ultimately about the people. If it yeah. wasn't, we'd, ha- we'd race robot cars. But yeah. nobody wants that. So, this, it, yeah, I think they do a great job. And in Vegas? Well, you, you've been coming here for decades. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. doing shows. And now... They're going to do 200 plus I know, on the strip. On the strip, hilarious. I mean, Amazing why? how many people have also done that, but yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah on a slightly different And agenda. drinking. And drinking too. Yeah, well, yeah. everyone else will be drinking. And it's going to be in the middle of the night, right, pretty much, right. late late at night. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it will be. It will be. You should watch it on TV. I will. I will. I will. I'll be right here. So. Yeah, you'll be here covering it. Yeah. We'll, you know, I, I thought I booked, I thought I was going to be here the week of the race and I would have stayed, but. I'm working somewhere else next week. So. No. Well, I hope uh, next year you can do the, this Concours again. We're yeah, gonna I'd move, love to. We're going to move it two, two weeks forward um, because so it's probably around SEMA rather right. than be up against the Grand Prix. Because, you know, one of the things is there's a, it takes, it's very expensive to come to this Grand Prix right. and to come in the week before and stay a whole week. Right. A lot of rich people don't want to be in Vegas a whole 12 days. Right, you know? right, yeah. So splitting it up and a lot of race fans, then they can right, kind of right, right, do both. Right, yeah. So it'll be good. Well, thank you very much, Jay. Well, for thanks coming. for having me. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's really great. I'm glad we came in. Well, before we go, let's just take a quick minute to highlight two top-tier brands which are deeply immersed in Formula 1. That's Mobile One, the official lubricant partner of Oracle Red Bull Racing, and Puma, which is the official licensee of Formula 1. Together, they're launching a very exciting initiative. On November 16th, they'll host a rally from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, uniting race fans and car enthusiasts to celebrate their love of driving. You will be able to follow this thrilling experience on Mobile One Social, both on YouTube and Instagram. Well, great honor to have you in the studio. My first real live 
human in here. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you experimented on me. Now it was can, yeah. good. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad now you get can, the real guests. Yeah, no, I can get that. the young, the young drivers yeah, and yeah. the young studly creatures. Those millennials. That you're uh -huh. I know. Well, they will not be as funny. But thank you for watching Drive to Win. We've got an action-packed week here. We'll be doing our normal show on Tuesday, uh, which will be re really recapping and. and uh, talking about what's just gone in the preparation to Las Vegas. And then they have a Netflix golf tournament here on Tuesday where they're playing Carlos Sainz and, and, and uh, Albon and they're taking on four of the top uh, PGA Tour and typical the way they do well, it here to win. I see what a normal show looks like, so I'm going to watch that. Yeah, that's a normal show. It's probably not as funny. And then we have the red carpet, which I'll be getting interviews with the drivers on Wednesday night and then it all kicks off. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So thanks for watching. Thank you to Jay. And this was Drive Thank to you. Win, presented by The Win and brought to you by Mobile One. Take care.